Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Yeah, this passage is a difficult one, and I think that's okay. Um, I'm sure all of you are very familiar with King Isaiah's reign. Everybody, yes, we can recite everything that he did. King Isaiah is actually a really cool character in the Bible. He uh, came to power when he was 16 years old after his died, he became king. And scripture describes very quickly in Second Chronicles that he did what was right. He did what was good in the eye of God. So Uzziah is one of the few who actually do what God wants him to do, especially early in life. And when you think about, uh, when I think about myself as a 16-year-old, that is kind of a, a, a shock that he would do what was right in the Lord's eyes with everything. But he does. He, he uh, rebuilds towns that have been destroyed by competing nations. He establishes a stronghold for his community to thrive within. He strengthens his army. He pushes back all of the forces who were coming to destroy his kingdom and his people. He builds new mechanics to enable the safety of his people. And for his whole reign, he prioritizes both the established borders of God's kingdom uh, in, in his era and and he supports the safety and comfort of his people that he is reigning on behalf of. But, but, after he has done what is right and good in the Lord's eyes, Uzziah starts getting a pretty big head about himself. He's been successful in all these different military campaigns. He's established himself as someone with a reputation. A reputation, scripture says, even spreads so far as Egypt. Like, everybody knows how big of a deal King Uzziah is. Is, and that goes to his head. And scripture says it that plainly. When Uzziah had gained enough power, he goes back to the temple and something shifts in him. Now, he's established himself with enough strength that he no longer needs. He no longer needs his community in the same way. Up until this point, the way that you pray to God is by going to the temple priests, and then as a community, you offer up sacrifices or you offer incense to God, and it's a communal activity that's mediated by the priests. Therefore, in, you know, ancient uh, uh, Hebraic society, you have a establishment of a sort of separation between church and state, right? Like, that, that's sort of what's happening there. You have the priestly class who is Descended of Abraham, the good friend of Moses, who had been given the, the role of serving as a mediator for God. And then you have the kings who are there and set apart and appointed for the work of leading the people. And those mutual relationships is what keeps the nation of Israel going in the right direction. That's what labels Uzziah as a good and faithful king, is his persistence this communal work towards the kingdom of God, towards the strength of God's kingdom that enables this, this work to happen. But, but 
Uzziah and Second uh, Chronicles, the 26th chapter, if you want to read along, uh, and Second Chronicles, the most fun book of the Bible, uh, I can tell you it basically goes like this. This king lived for a little while. He was bad. Then this king came, and he lived for a while. He was pretty good. Then this king came, and he lived for a while, and he was pretty bad. Uh, and you can get the basic picture. If you want to know the names and all the details of it, read it. It's great. Anyway, I'll, Uzziah. He just is described as good. He walks into the temple. He walks in when there are no priests around. And he begins lighting his own, his own offering to God. Cutting out the communal aspect of worship in the temple where there had been this separation of what the, what the church does and what the state does, what the, what, the, what the priests do and what the king does. And he walks in and takes that power for himself, establishing for one of the first times in scripture the idea that I am responsible for my own personal salvation and my personal relationship with God is all that matters. And what happens? He doesn't die. He gets leprosy. He lights the incense. The priests come into the room and they say, you done messed up. And then as soon as they say that, the earth quakes, the temple shakes, and suddenly he breaks out in leprosy, making him ritually unclean. And now... Because of his own power, Uzziah is not able to exist in community. Do you see what's happening there? Uzziah decides he doesn't need his community. He tries to mediate his relationship with God by himself. And then he's stricken with leprosy, forcing him into isolation. And he basically, from that moment onward, serves as an advisor to his son, who reigns after him as king. So that's the context. So like when, when Isaiah 6 says, in the year that King Uzziah died, that's after he'd been living in isolation because of his leprosy. And Isaiah is back in the temple, and this is important, because we're talking about thoughts and prayers. Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, with all of this baggage around that if you walk into the temple and offer up an offering for yourself and an incense goes up for yourself, then you will be stricken with leprosy. Like, like that's the most recent context that we have in history, right? King Uzziah walking into the temple and getting strucken with leprosy because God showed up. You can imagine why Isaiah was so terrified. And he says, before anybody else, I am not worthy of this presence. You see the difference between King Uzziah, who claims his own power in the presence of God, and Isaiah, who immediately, like, grovels on the floor, I am not worthy, sort of moment. And some of that is because of Isaiah's faithfulness, but some of that is because of the most recent history of a person going into the temple without this sort of mediation. And all that's important because it helps, at least me, it helps me think about what the role of prayer is in my life. Do I hope to control the mind and power of God, wielding it for my own reputation, my own power, my own prestige? Like, 
Uzziah, who is even named, is doing really good stuff. When I pray, am I consistently asking for my own comfort, my own well-being, my own life to be made better? Am I trying to get God to issue condemnation over the people that I really don't like in this world? Am I trying to wield the power of God over others? Or am I stepping into these moments of sacredness with a humility that I may not actually know the mind of God? And there is something worth respecting, fearing, loving, beholding, bowing to that's bigger than me settling into the spaces that I occupy. Through all of July, we're talking about thoughts and prayers because it's a, it's a particularly progressive Christian thing these days to talk about how um, we're done with thoughts and prayers, right? You may have even said that. I, in some weak moments, have said that myself, right? Like, thoughts and prayers don't seem to be getting us anywhere. And so we start to not only resent the practice, but we start sometimes to even resent the people who claim thoughts and prayers, that they're trying to step back, they're trying to be prayerful, they're trying to be thoughtful, when really what we want is for the world to be different than what it is. I mean, do you resonate with that at all? Is that just me? Like, sometimes it's just too painful to want to turn back into the temple or into the wherever it is that you pray. It just feels like an empty action. I think part of the problem in my experience of it is that there are too many of us who claim that we're attempting thoughtfulness or we're working, we're trying to be more prayerful who aren't actually interested in God leading some aspect of our lives. What we really want is for God to, like, prove that God's on my side, if we're being really honest. We aren't looking for some transformative experience. We're looking for God to prove that God's there by doing something that we want God to do. Is that just me? (laughs) And I don't even know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, God is big enough to hold us in our needs and our prayers. But sometimes we go beyond our needs and we really go towards our wants. And sometimes our wants aren't just even about trying to build something beautiful and sacred. It's about living with spite over the people who seem to have power to wield our world, to bend our world to their will. You know what I mean? Sometimes our prayers start to pivot. And sometimes, because of that, we start to think that, like, 
It's just not, and I'm, at this point I'm talking to, literally talking to the choir, although I would love to hear your voices more frequently and more loudly, but I'm literally talking to the choir here, but like there is so little trust for the church right now. So little trust for the church right now. And if you were to read statistics, it's been documented by the Pew Research Foundation as well as the Barna Group. I mean, anybody with uh, researchers on staff has documented well the decline of the church in Western society, but in particular here in America. And even here at North Decatur, we feel that. For those of you who are new, like, I'm one, I'm really glad and grateful that you're here, but like, it is also a truth that our church. Before the pandemic, we had, you know, 180 people every Sunday sitting in these pews. And now, in a beautiful, like this is, I'm not complaining, I'm, I'm genuinely, that on good Sundays, we have about, we have about 80, 85 people in here on Sunday, which is wonderful. But it proves, it demonstrates that we're a part of a pattern Because what we're seeing in our society is too many Christians wielding the church in a way that bends towards a will that is around their own sense of what is right and wrong, rather than being about what God has called us to do and what to be. Too many churches and far too many pastors especially, and as the person talking in front of a group of people, I am well aware of the irony of everything that I'm saying right now, but like there are too many clergy and pastors and church leaders who are trying to bend the congregation towards their understanding of what is right and wrong in a way that sometimes just excludes God from the conversation at all, but they'll do it while claiming thoughts and prayers. We'll do it while claiming thoughts and prayers. And so it's no wonder why the church no longer feels like a and holy and sacred space because we have these two competing realities where we have some Christian leaders who are no longer really interested in following God because they've gained a power like Uzziah, that they have a reputation and a power to wield over communities. And so when they walk into sacred spaces, they bend the will of God to their own passion, to their own particular work. And then you've got the rest of us who are just as frustrated with watching churches fight over seemingly nothing. Like stupid stuff. It's been a part of our church's history, right? Like how much water do you need to do a baptism? Is it a handful or is it a whole big tub or does it need to be live water outside? Like we get caught in the stupidest of conversations while people are suffering outside the door. You see what I mean? Like, so of course people don't trust the church. And of course, comfortable with the thoughts and prayers. That makes all the sense in the world to me. Because we have too many people living as Uzziahs in society and too few who are living like Isaiah in society. Willing to throw themselves before the presence of God. Acknowledging that what I think of is right, wrong, good, bad. Who I think of as evil or justified isn't necessarily God's mind to 
And so Uzziah fights against the priest, fights against God, and gets stricken with leprosy. Isaiah throws himself on the ground and speaks about himself as being unclean already. Uzziah becomes unclean by his pride. Isaiah becomes clean because of his acknowledgement that he is already unclean. And so the angel comes down with a burning coal, sets it on his lips, and suddenly Isaiah is given a particular kind of power to speak truth to the people wielding power over a community. Thoughts and prayers are essential to Isaiah's work. He didn't just happen to be given this gift. He was in the temple in worship with perfect humility. And then God gave him, and then God gave him, and then after, after he devoted himself to thoughtfulness and prayer within the presence of God, after that, God gives him words to speak. And for many of us, we flip it on its head and we speak first, usually out of our anger, and wonder why no one wants to listen to us. Isaiah's message isn't necessarily a hopeful one. It comes with an intentional misunderstanding, a lack of clarity. It comes with blind eyes and to everything happening in the world. It's painful. It's a painful message, hard message. But what I experience in it is just reality. When people speak hard truths, I know for my own sake, I usually want to shut it out because it usually requires a major change in my life that I am not willing to undergo. The first time when I was in college that a friend of mine graciously said, Patrick, what you just said there was a little racist. You might want to think about it. I was like, no, that was not, you misunderstood me, right? Like our first reaction is always, I don't need transformation. I'm good. So we're blind to truth. We're blind to reality until we take a moment to be thoughtful, be prayerful, acknowledge the humility necessary for our relationship with God, step back and live a life of faith. It's the only way to grow. See that in Isaiah, we see it in the message that he proclaims to the people, and we see it in God's relationship with him. We have a choice to be Isaiah, certain of our own right, our own power, our own strength, and unwilling to listen, but absolutely interested in wielding God's power for ourselves, or like Isaiah, who's willing with a first instinct to take a step back, acknowledge that he's a part of a guilty mob, and display some interest in having our lives transformed. That's, that's what the passage today challenges me with. Am I willing to live with thoughts and prayers so that I might actually be transformed into the beloved heart of God? I hope you'll join me in that question. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org. Thank you.